You are listening to the Load Management Podcast. Why? I don't know. What's going on, everybody? Brand new episode of the Load Management Podcast. The still new and noteworthy podcast on on all Apple Podcasts. This is your man, Chops, from a hotel room in Pittsburgh as I make my trek back to New York City. Very special episode today, but before we get into that, have my trusty co-hosts, Adam Caparell out in Los Angeles and Zion in Parts Unknown. We have no idea where he is on the Listen, let's, let's, let's just get out the way. This is the second time we're recording this because Chops <laughs> messed up. So we don't. we might not have the same energy that we have in the first take. But just know that Chops messed us up. Let, let's have full transparency. I'm in a hotel room, and our first recording of this intro and intro segment uh, had to be scrapped because I didn't have my headphones in. You're also at a hotel where you're paying an hourly rate, so you, no, know, you get what you pay for, pal. Chops is at a motel. I am in a two a two room suite in lovely. No, it's not a big. Do you guys want a tour of my hotel room? Mm-hmm. No, we're good. We can, <laughs> let's just get on with this. Exactly. So I said very special episode. We're talking about Adam's favorite sport. We have Trevor Bauer from the Cincinnati Reds on this week to talk about the return of baseball, uh, why it took so long, the beef between the players and the owners, all that kind of stuff. And Zion, what did Trevor do to Adam during the discussion? As we said in the first take, Adam got completely dunked on. Windmill on three. Complete, on. complete fake news. Completely sad on your part. It was not a dunking on situation. We had a spirited debate, and people such as yourself and Trevor seem to fall on the different side of the tracks than I do when it comes to debating no, no, the no, goat. No, the right of side baseball. of history versus your yeah. terrible take. Let's let's say no. Let's, I have a very nuanced and specific take on on who I think deserves to have goat status when it comes to baseball, as we'll see later on the podcast, pal. That's very true. So uh, it was a, a very fun conversation, I thought. Before we get to that, let's quickly touch on some other stuff going on in sports. We need a name for this segment, by the way, like the segment before the interview, like a quick takes type segment. But, you know, you know yeah, Adam, we need to workshop that. Yeah, we need to workshop that. Adam's not too good with titles. Yeah, yet, Adam can't come up with the name. Actually, no, neither can you, Mr. Uh, what? No, <laughs> what you right, say. Let's, down, let's keep down. that. Let's, nah, let's not put that on the air. Yeah, you're, yeah. You are forbidden, which is an H. If we repeated that term on this podcast, it would be an HR violation. So you are hey. forbidden from that one, from coming with any names for any future <laughs> segments. All right. Calm down, everybody. Let's quickly talk about this because uh, big sports story. Cam Newton, New England Patriots. Uh, an official eulogy for Adams New York Jets, who had three months of being possibly the best team in the AFC East, uh, gone quickly. They weren't even the best team in the AFC East um, with with Tom Brady leaving. So I would I will kill that little analysis right there, that little perspective, because I would still would have given the nod to the Bills. But when the news came down on Sunday that Cam Newton was signed with the Patriots, it was just more just frustration, um, just 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 disenfranchisement and just completely like why the fuck do the Patriots always have to have the best quarterback in the division like the Jets didn't necessarily have the best quarterback in the division for you know three months since Tom Brady left but it was debatable but it's like Cam going to the Pats is like it just like it's just debilitating and frustrating and so goddamn annoying that Bill Belichick once again pulls a fast one over everyone's eyes and I can't believe that Cam was the only quarterback, or was the only, I'm sorry, the Patriots are the only team that Cam really talked about. Although, as we learned on Monday, our boy Adam Schefter, former guest here in the Load Management Podcast, revealed that your Cleveland Browns were the other team that so, seriously talked about, wait, wait for it, 
seriously talked about, or at least had a discussion with Cam Newton. And if they had the foresight to bring Cam Newton onto their squad, he would have been the best quarterback right. on I'm the Browns roster. You. I'm going to stop you now because when we did the first take of this, I didn't realize, I didn't listen to that report yet. I went back and listened to Schefter. He said that mm. it wasn't even close. Okay, so you guys—I didn't say it was close. You I said guys, they had discussion. You they, just because they talked about it—that seems a courtesy of Odell. Odell and Cam are close. They've been working out. You guys in the first taping of this podcast made it seem like the Browns seriously considered signing Cam Newton when okay, that wasn't. It doesn't case. matter if they stop. They should have quick, quick little podcast poll. Who would be the better quarterback for the Browns, Cam uh, Newton or Baker Mayfield? Podcast poll. Are you just making up segments right now? They're yes, not I'm like- making. I made up a new segment. Raise your hand. We're on Zoom right now. I'm raising my hand. Cam Newton, the better quarterback than Baker Mayfield for ja- the Browns. Jasmine, our producer's hand is not up, Cam- and mine is not up. It's Cam two, Newton two. is a better quarterback. Than Baker, than Baker Mayfield. Mayfield yes. No, you guys are incorrect. Cam Newton, maybe at one time, yes. Cam Newton. And wave this right now. Mark Jasmine's boyfriend said Cam Newton. That's we're Shout not going to Marquise. Marquise. He knows. Marquise, no. Okay. He knows. Why won't you admit it, Adam? I know you're in. A, I know you're in an emotional state right now because you keep getting dunked on during these podcast episodes by our guests. By our guests, they come. They they come on and they just that you know. I don't know if they just like just see your poster U- child. I don't know if they see your Yukon <laughs> hat and they're like, you know what, this guy has like a dunkable face or what. But very dunkable face. You're taking this out on me, and you're mad. I didn't even bring up the Browns this episode. You brought up the Browns, buddy. I know for the first time in podcast history, you didn't bring up the Browns first, which is again unprecedented. You guys, are just I just jealous. want you to admit. I just want you to have perspective and and take off your rose colored glasses and not be a Orange biased colored Browns glasses. fan, whatever the hell you want to call. It. I'm not being not being I'm biased. Not being, you're being biased. I'm not being, I'm not being biased. If you told me, uh, Cam's uh, Cam's health is an uncertainty. I would go with Baker. I'd roll with Baker. Yeah. Listen, Cam Newton is a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield. He's and, better than Daniel Jones. Then why and, did the Giants? Why, and, didn't the, why didn't the Giants? Why didn't the Giants look at Cam Newton? And and because we have a future. And oh, Cam the Browns Newton, don't have a future. No, you don't. Clearly, last year showed it. And, oh yeah, because one year when Daniel Jones right, has a no, sophomore regression. We're not doing this. We 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 already let, know. Let, let him finish. We already know finish, what the deal finish is. Finish, young Zion. And watch the segue. And he's better than Tom Brady. There's that no is segue. wild. We, we don't need wild. to get we don't we don't need to get into the Tom Brady thing because that's such a wild take that you think that Cam Newton right now is still better than Tom Brady. He is better than Tom Brady was last year. He's he's, he's going to replace him and put the, the, the Patriots in a better position to win than they uh, had last year. Cam Newton with shoulder surgery is not a better pass than Tom Brady. I don't care if he's ten years younger. Bro, Tom Brady was throwing ducks out there too. It wasn't like uh, he wasn't flinging them flinging them right into the hands of uh, personnel. Personnel makes a little bit difference there, pal. Yeah, it does, it does for Cam, too. Uh, of course it does. But Tom, but the idea that Tom Brady won't be better than Cam Newton next year is ridiculous because Tom is going into the most explosive offense this side of the Kansas City Chiefs or joining the most hey, explosive offense this side well, of Kansas City While well, talking about arm talent, can we talk about our – Never our, use that – no, no, stop. Stop right there. You are not allowed to use the term arm talent on no, this No, because, because – You're not Trent Dilfer. You're not some annoying fucking listen, analyst you, on TV. That's the most goddamn annoying you, terminology you, in all sports. Can you, listen, can you let me talk about who, who I'm about to dunk on? Just please don't say arm talent. That's all. Uh, Uncle Colin ranked his top five arm talents in the NFL. Can I just read them real quick? Because you guys talking about arm talents made me think of this list that he put out last week. I of want course, to throw I'm, up here and you say arm talent five times in a row. Uncle Colin Coward, a friend of Complex per se. Uncle, so, uh, someone. Yeah, careful Uncle with Colin. careful with your titles here, pal. Why? Keep going. 
All right, Jasmine, cut that out if it sounds Colin, good. Colin Coward barely knows that we exist. Well, shout out to Joy Taylor, but not sh- to Colin. Yeah, shout out to Joy Taylor. I'm obviously joking around because anytime we have a segment featured on Colin's show, he conveniently forgets that complex sports exist. It's all right. Yeah, we'll get to what's, him one day. Yeah, what's complex? So here's, here's his top five because this is funny that Zion brought up that you guys brought up the arm thing. Russell Wilson, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Kyler Murray, Jared Goff. Patrick Mahomes, nowhere near <laughs> Collins' top five of arm talent in the NFL. It's agreed. I mean, he's he's getting he's getting rightfully clowned. I saw some tweets earlier on Monday. Listen, he's rightfully not, getting clowned we, for that terrible list. We are not giving Colin Coward any more airtime right now. Next. <laughs> he gives us airtime. I'm not I'm not that mad at it. He gives us airtime. We No, he it, doesn't. His producers do. Shout out to Joy, Joy gives it, Joy gives us airtime. Joy gives us airtime. Shout out to Joy. Uh, so Cam Newton to the Patriots. Zion, don't you think that you said they're a Super Bowl contender, didn't you? At one point, Cam Newton makes the New England Patriots Super Bowl contenders. Yeah. You heard it here first. Yeah. Number one. No, wait, wait, number one. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna rewind because we have to get back to the point that both of y'all had the Patriots winning like five six games uh, without Cam Newton. Number that that was a wild take. So, so did Victor at, Cruz. So did Victor yeah. Cruz. So did Victor a lot Cruz, of people. Victor Cruz hates the Patriots, bro. He, he did not sound like he hated the Patriots. We all were he there hates for the that Patriots, episode. bro. He's Come an on. unbiased NFL analyst. How? From ESPN. How is he unbiased? He beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. He's biased when it comes them. to the Giants yeah. talk. Now for Patriots, the talk. Giants yeah. hate the Patriots. That's just a known thing. Come on. You're making up rivalries where they don't exist, but go ahead. Yeah, no a Giants fan is making up rivalries. They fit two times in the history of the two, two franchises have they played a meaningful fucking game. You're making up a rivalry. Bro, bro. Continue your point. I don't want you to stop. Yeah. Continue. Nah, you, man. No. Let me just say. You, you said, <laughs> Why are you, you tapping said, out right now? Keep going. Let, let's just hear that Zion said you heard it here first that the Super the Patriots are Super Bowl contenders. You probably also only hear, heard it here because I don't think anybody else is saying that. You're very uh, wild for that take, Zion. That's not a wild take. Super Bowl contenders doesn't mean, oh, we're going to win the Super Bowl. It just means we're going to be in play, in contention. They were Super Bowl contenders last Who, year. Who's, with, who's with, more of a Super Bowl yes, contender? Yes, superior the, quarterback. Who's more of a Super Bowl contender, the Patriots or the Buccaneers? The Pats. Oh, my God. That's such a wild hand take. Hand wave you. It's not a wild take. The, weapon, the weapons that Brady has down in Tampa You're Bay. You're talking about weapons like he's like he's Pat Mahomes, like he's Lamar No, Jackson. I'm talking about like he's Tom Brady. He's Bro, still Tom Brady. He's still 44 with a Pal. cane. Like, Pal. relax. Cane. Where's his he's cane? Washed. He He takes those TB12 supplements. He's going to live to be 150. He's fine. Pal, I have a question for you, young Zion. Is you smoking dust? Please don't use my my quote. <laughs> that's, that's an Angel Diaz. That's quote. an Angel that's Diaz. A, that's an Angel yeah. Diaz slang right there. Anyway, Be, before you, we get before we get to the Trevor Bauer interview, talking baseball return, let's hear more wild takes from Zion because the NBA has also finalized their schedule. Yes, sir. Uh, it appears to be coming back. The bubble is happening. My Cavaliers are not playing any basketball. No games. Adams Knicks aren't playing any basketball. <laughs> no games. <laughs> Zion's Nets are uh, sadly playing more basketball. We are no, playing basketball. Let, can, can we just? Uh, are you going to pay the money when the Nets don't make it to the finals? That, that, that I bet on them or no? What are you talking about? Why would Why would he pay off your? Why because would he pay Zion off your made me think. Zion made me think that Kevin Durant was coming back. No, I, so I can't I put, make you. I can't make so, you think anything. So I put the money down. I put a hundred down on the Nets to win the East, and then a day later, oh no, I'm not coming back. 
That's your fault. You lost. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. That's gambling, pal. That's bad gambling. I got bad advice from young Zion. I didn't tell you to bet the Nets. You Well, I'm just saying. What are we talking about here, man? Take this your losses is- like a man. I'm taking my <laughs> losses. Well, let's talk about the NBA. Who's going to – well, speaking of the East, who's going to make it out of the East? Is it going to be the Bucks? I don't know. Well, I mean, since we kind of covered this, it's very hard to do this again. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> we, had good, everybody we had a good listening. intro. Every, That's why every, I'm speeding it up. That's why I'm speeding it up. Everybody listening, man, it's very hard to do this a second take because the first take was very, very good. It was. Very good. It was, it was very what good. What you're anyway. alluding to is that the two of you, Chops and Young Zon over here, think that the Sixers are legitimate threats to come out of the East. And I think that is lunacy. It's not crazy. It's, it's not, not crazy. crazy at all. One of the it most might- talented teams in the NBA. And my thing is, Adam, you were all over the Sixers all year, and now you're just not believing in your own takes. I, I, okay, so stand, after, stand uh, on your moral high ground. No, after witnessing 65 some odd games of them not getting their shit together and having chemistry issues, the way friend of Complex Sports Tobias Harris alluded to earlier over this weekend, and the fact that offensively they are a fucking disaster. Yeah, why would I buy into the Sixers all of a sudden getting their shit together after three and a half months away and just blowing the doors off the competition? You keep talking about Disney, or you keep talking about chemistry. Disney World is a magical place where magical things can happen. Okay. Okay. In my opinion, if these guys are going to be quarantined or you know, kind of living in this bubble for three months, they're going to be at at each other's necks. And if you already had chemistry issues, I don't think being all together. Wait, hold up, hold up. Did they have chemistry issues because they didn't like each other? They just didn't play that well together. Yeah, I didn't, wasn't talking I, about it, it wasn't. Chemistry. It wasn't like they didn't like each other, I don't think. It's chemistry issues. So what? some of that has to seep into real life and personalities in the locker room. You're you're reaching. They have right a lot there. of conflicting players. I mean, you look at Al Horford and Joel Embiid, like what how how are they gonna play together in, in this That's day and legit age? Like, too. Yeah. like it's not it's not I think you're reading too much into it. It's I don't think it's like you're making it seem like Kyrie LeBron at odds type thing. I'm not alluding to the fact there are guys that that are, you know, ready to fist fight in the locker room. But I think that when you have issues about how you guys fit together on the court, that seeps into real life into the locker room. I think that's I think it's undeniable. Who has a better chance of making it out of the East, the Raptors or the Celtics? The Raptors. Celtics. Celtics. So much more talent on that Celtics team. Actually, Fred Van Vliet did an interview recently and said the Raptors will be incredibly hard to beat in four four times in a series. Will is that true? I feel like the Raptors. Why not? Are, what What about this Raptors team? Obviously, they've over. I don't even think I predicted them to make the playoffs. Zion in our in our yeah, preseason. yeah you were wild. For that. <laughs> I was wild. That is wild. That was a bad. That was a bad take. I will admit that bad was a bad take. take. Exposed right there, uh, Adam. Unlike you, I'm willing to admit when I have a bad take. I don't try hmm. and change the narrative months later about it. What narrative? What take you trying anyway. to expose me? <laughs> anyway, yeah. So, but are the Raptors really going to be that hard of an out? When you look at the Celtics, and I'm assuming that Jason Tatum's going to pick up where he left off with the with the level of play he was at, Jalen Brown, etc. Are the Raptors really that tough of a playoff out? I mean, they Kyle Lowry still playoff Kyle Lowry. Marcus All looks like he's in great shape. And, but, fa- and factor in the fact there's no home court advantage. So that nope. Toronto college mm-hmm. atmosphere is gone. And no Kawhi, Not, obviously. No, no Kawhi. Toronto, to no Danny me. Green. No Danny Green. Like it's 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 and you have a whole bench that's inexperienced, like Terrence Davis. Yeah. Um the big I'm, I'm Matt Thomas. Chris, Matt, Chris, Chris Chris Boucher. Bo- Bo- like, Matt Thomas. Like, yeah, like Pascal's great, but 
Can he do that in a playoff series when he's the sole focus by the other team's defense? I'm not so sure, Adam. Yes, that's the big question right there. Who takes over Kawhi in crunch time? But I think you guys are discrediting the fact that the core of this team is still together. And you have hard-nosed guys. And I think Siakam... Hard-nosed guys? What does that even mean? Hard-nosed defensive guys. guys Boston doesn't have hard-nosed guys. Marcus Smart is the definition. Mar- Marcus of- Smart will hard-nosed. fight anybody I, on the Raptors. Okay. You know what? We can Marcus- have, we can parse that we can parse that terminology any way you want to, but it applies to many of the Raptors. You're making fun of me for saying arm talent, and you're dropping in grit into basketball discussions. Grit, grit matters. You need you need some gritty players. Gritty, gutty players get you to championships, and the Raptors have more than a few of them. Fred Van Vliet, I think, is highly underrated. I think can make some clutch shots. Yes, Siakam has to step up, but if you have the core of the team that made that run to the finals, that's still there. And you're still a little shaky on what the Bucks can bring to the table. And the Raptors have overachieved all season long. I don't get why they can't pick that up come late July and early August. So I think you guys are discrediting the Raptors and laying too much faith into the Sixers I team the that has have, massive – wait, wait. Sixers have massive offensive issues. But I think the Celtics are a very viable threat to come out. But I still would give the nod as the better defensive team. Although I have to look at the analytics, the better defensive team being the Raptors. Do any of us actually think the Bucks won't be the team to make it out though? Like, do we think that they could have another hiccup? I mean, I think I think it's possible because it, it's always come down, always comes down to Giannis is going to get his numbers and whatever. But like, is he though? He, yes, he's going to get his is numbers. Giannis, yeah, but, what, what, yeah, what is he? Yeah, how is he yeah. not going to get his numbers? But he, no, when you look at their when they lost in the playoffs to the Raptors last year, he got his numbers. He just he, it he took did, a, it took but a it wasn't much. it wasn't efficiently. Like, it wasn't I think, officially, but in the playoffs, it's never really always going to be efficiently. Like it's 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 going to come hard in the playoffs, yeah. but it's about your two, your three, your four, the fourth options that got to make up for it. Like I think they're going to miss Brogdon in the in a playoff series. I'll say that. I think so. I just don't think Chris Middleton is a good number two either. So like. So I think I think you're I think you're devaluing Middleton because who is an All Star caliber player? And he is has, in the regular season. What there, was he doing? Is, the, what was he doing the playoffs last year? I remember he dropped like ten points in a crucial. There, game. There's playoff versions of players. Some guys definitely just do, just do not play. Like Kyle Lowry's had that forever. Granted, he did make some big plays in the in finals, game six. And every, game six, and everything he did. But there's some guys who just don't. Always get up to their same level. But again, this year, this year could be different because guys may not feel quite the pressure with the atmosphere being so different, especially guys on the road who historically haven't. So that factors into a little bit. But does Chris Middleton have the capability of being an excellent sidekick? To be honest, yeah, Uh, excellent. Excellence a little bit. I say not as an excellent player, like he's a Hall of Fame. I'm saying an excellent sidekick. That's a little bit of a reach. Oh, yeah, That's bro. a little. What are you I, if, talking if, about? If you if you told Giannis he could pick out his ideal sidekick, if you uh, how Jesus far down the line? me to pick out my ideal no. podcast sidekick. I ain't picking you two either. So just oh, that's the reality situation. Oh, that, look, look that's at this guy! Wow, that's how you feel? Look at this guy! If we're keeping it one hundred, yeah. No, let let let's 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 do this real quick. How far down the list is Chris Middleton? If you gave Giannis the option to pick out his sidekick, top twenty. Is he a top twenty person? Yon? He's not, no, he's not even top twenty five. Uh, maybe top thirty. Maybe. And you're talking about excellent sidekick. <laughs> maybe when Giannis would probably pick thirty other players to be his sidekick next to him. Well, it's worked I, so far for the Bucks. Has it? What has worked so far in the regular yeah. season? That regular doesn't matter. Don't regular, matter, bro. Yo, Adam is done. You've been where, dunked on. Where's my ring, Adam? Adam, regular season does not matter. It does not matter. And 
Who who have we had on this podcast? Sham said it. Winning is the only thing that matters to Giannis in the playoffs. That's the only thing that matters. Pressure's on. I've seen Mo Williams wasn't. I get Mo Williams vibes. Cavs first run from Chris Middleton. There. That's that's that. I think that's a good characterization of. And there's a lot of uh, similarities between the 09 Cavs and the, the, these current Bucks teams. They they play very similar. I okay. can't believe you said you would. I will uh, take, I will. Who are will your take. other podcast people that you'd rather in front of me and Zion? You'd be my top two. Oh, that's very kind. That's very kind of you and very cute. I'll get back to you on that. Look wow. at this. A division in the ranks already. <laughs> <laughs> let's get to Trevor Bauer. Really fun interview. That's Obviously, one, man. let's it, get it. to Trevor Bauer. I can't wait for everybody to hear Adam get dunked on please. by Trevor Bauer. Please. Who, who is a professional social media dunk person. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, the term you're dropping the podcast today. Just no, keep no. Get to the next. Let's get to Trevor Bauer, y'all. Great conversation. Let's get yeah. to it, man. Let's get to the conversation. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Joining us today on the Load Management Podcast, we have Cincinnati Reds pitcher Trevor Bauer. Trevor, thank you for joining us. Uh, we believe you are driving right now across America. Is that true? Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm parked on the side of the road, so I'm not zooming and driving. Um, I'm in New Mexico at the White Sands National Park, which is closed, unfortunately. Uh, but there's a little bit of white sand that blew on the side of the on the side of the road. So I'm here taking some pictures and checking it out. That's quite incredible that you're, uh, you're heading back to Cincinnati. We're guessing, right. Uh, you know, ready to report. Yep. That's for sure. Heading from uh, left Arizona yesterday and going to make my way to Cincinnati and get ready. We, we all had a bet about what kind of car you drive. And I said, <laughs> it's a, I said, it's a Tesla for sure. I, I want a Tesla. I'm actually on the wait list for the Tesla roadster, but uh, I currently drive a, Chevy Silverado, uh, 2008 Chevy Silverado. Um, my McLaren got totaled twice uh, this offseason, no, neither of which were my fault. So I'm, I have my truck now. You can't really take a McLaren road trip if you have your, you know, all your baseball gear and like all the stuff you need to move from Arizona to, uh, to Cincinnati. So I think good call taking the Chevy. Yeah, it's, uh, it's packed full. I got uh, – I can't barely see out the rear view mirror, but uh, – Making it work. How do you – can we ask how a McLaren gets crashed twice? <laughs> well, once – I took it in for service. It's a crazy story. I took it in for service in, uh, in Houston, and while I was in the dealership, a truck tire flew off of a truck on the freeway. Uh, like the tire just came loose and went rolling down the freeway, hopped over a couple lanes, smashed through a window in the dealership, and landed on the back of my car. <laughs> it's a 400-pound truck tire. <laughs> 
and the, the McLaren engines are in the back of the car. So it smashed the engine and smashed the whole rear bit. It caused like $65,000 worth of damage. So it took like two or three months to get that fixed. And then it, it got shipped out to Arizona uh, halfway through spring training, delivered to the dealership there. And then I had it for two or three days. And then there's a, a warning light that went on and said, take it, take it to the dealership immediately. Something clearly wasn't right from the first time it got messed up. So I took mm -hmm. it to the dealership. They fixed it up. They were test driving it at like six in the morning uh, to make sure it's all good to get back to me. And a lady slammed it in the back of them. Uh, they were stopped at a light. <laughs> lady slammed into the back of the car behind them at 60 miles an hour. And then that slammed into my car and caused a, $125,000 worth of damage or something like that and totaled the car. I think that car is cursed. I think you should get yeah, rid of that, it. Yeah, that is the most cursed <laughs> car of all time. Yeah, it's gone now, which is, which is a good thing. And I'm still alive, which is a good thing in my book as well. Oh, my. So, obviously, very timely to have you on because baseball is finally back. In uh, agreement, per se, was, was uh, between the players and the owners. Walk us through the most frustrating parts of getting to this point for you as someone who's very outspoken through the whole thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I was where to begin. <laughs> yeah. There, there's so much. I think the biggest thing was checking social media and seeing all the fans that want baseball back and yelling at me as though I'm <laughs> like not playing and everybody else is or something. I'm like, I get you guys. I want baseball back too. It's not my decision. I can't do anything about it. Um, so that part, and then all the stuff that's going on behind the scenes too, that like you really can't share, but you want to, or at least I did because I'm, like you said, I'm outspoken. I like talking about things and sharing you know, my opinions and all that. So having to, to bite my tongue the entire time, I think I did a pretty good job biting my tongue, even though I shared some stuff publicly, but, uh, the whole thing has been super frustrating. Like obviously Corona was a, a lose, lose, lose for everybody. You know, mm -hmm. it's, um, for, for the owners, the players and the fans, those are really the three main entities in, in, involved here. So everyone was kind of losing uh, already. And then to have such a public nasty, like war of words and all sorts of stuff go on. It was just, uh, it was, it was not good. Listen, so, Trevor, let's get it out the way first. This is not the platform to bite your tongue, you know, <laughs> so, you know, you can be free. It's a safe Yeah, Trevor, place. you can say whatever you want. Say whatever you want, you know. Oh, man. Y'all get, get me in trouble. <laughs> well, well, I was about to say, uh, it's nothing new for fans to yell at you on Twitter, though, Trevor. Like, you had no. to have been just used to it. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. What? But, go ahead, Chops, go ahead. Yeah, I'll go. And then Adam's our big baseball guy. He's our baseball expert, so he's going to have a ton of questions. But my thing is... Like, what, what do you think the main issue that they were coming from? Because, like, everything was being painted by the media as, like, I feel a little bit slanted against the players to, to a degree. And, and for some reason, fans always seem to side with the owners usually in these kinds of situations for whatever reason. You know? uh, let the record show not all media. Yeah, someone not all someone media, on not this all podcast media. wrote about how you should blame the owners for this nonsense. But go Adam ahead, Adam did do that. Adam did do that. <laughs> I think it, it, I'll try to take emotion out of it because obviously being a player and wanting to get that, get out there and compete and all that, I have, I have emotion tied to that side, but I'll try to lay it out as, as easily and simply as possible. Owners run a business. And so when you run a business, I can understand this. I run a business. Uh, you try to protect the bottom line because if you don't make money or you lose money in a year, like you can't uh, support a sustainable operation. You know, that's mm -hmm. your lifeline is business you have a lot of employees you have a lot of people that you have to pay operating costs etc so 
owners looked at the bottom line and they said, okay, this is how much we're willing to spend. Uh, this is what we can sustain this year uh, with no fans. And that's, that's the amount of money they offered pretty much every single time. Uh, players looked at it as though, look, you know, we signed a, a guaranteed contract. Uh, so regardless if you play zero games or 162 games in a year, you could be hurt. You know, you could get hurt in spring training and miss the entire year. Like your contract is guaranteed. You get a certain amount. It's not like a per game amount or anything like that. It's you get one bump amount for this season. So players were of the opinion that, look, we signed this contract. We shouldn't have to take pay cuts. When the March 26th agreement happened, we agreed to prorate our, our contracts uh, per the number of games that were played. I think that makes sense to everybody. You know, if you play 60 games, you get 60 games worth of pay. It's a pandemic. That makes sense. Um, so the sticking point seemed to be that the language was we operate in good faith, that both sides will operate in good faith to negotiate the financial uh, the economic feasibility of starting a season. Well, to the owners, economic feasibility was we're not going to lose money. So their number was lower than the players who were like, well, we could play X amount of games. We could play 90. We could play 100. Let's start now. Um, and the players didn't believe that the owners were going to lose money and the owners weren't willing to offer any more than they chose to, to offer. And so you just had this huge stalemate that's that made its way into the public sphere right away when the owners chose to leak that they were going to offer a 50, 50 revenue split. And that's what started the whole thing off. All these things are going to have to go on behind closed doors anyway. You know, mm -hmm. there's going to have to be an agreement. You're going to have to come to some sort of, you know, mutual understanding of the rules and safety regulations and financial compensation, all that stuff. And then it just got made a public issue right away. And once it became a public issue, then it was like, oh, you're a liar. You're a liar. You said this. Well, you said that. And we're going to offer this. And then it was like, you know, it's like a fifth grade food fight in the cafeteria. Was the most frustrating aspect of you guys going back and forth for, you know, what felt like a month or whatever, was it was it the fact that the just owners weren't as transparent with the financials as, you know, kind of what was seemingly made apparent, you know, by different media reports? Is that kind of what was the biggest sticking point that just the owners weren't being straight up with you guys? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much it is that the owners aren't straight up or they are. I mean, when you run a business, you have resources that go all sorts of different ways, right? Mm -hmm. And so you have your operating capital for this specific business for just like, let's just take a baseball team. You have baseball expenses and costs and income and all that. But a lot of the things that go on with baseball, like the parking structure that's next door, like that might not be baseball specific income, you know, but the owner still owns that. Um, yeah. it, you know, the, the restaurants around the ballpark that you build up in, uh, I, I think I, I'm not accusing anybody here, but like, I just think of Wrigleyville, right? You have all these restaurants and this whole, it's like an experience when you go to Wrigley, there's this, all these surrounding businesses and entertainment and stuff like that. Well, some teams own those businesses. So they make a lot of money based on there being baseball. And that still goes into the owner's pocket, but it's not technically a baseball expense. So when you when they send over the, the financials and you just see the baseball expenses, well, on their side, it's like, well, yeah, this is baseball. So this is these are the expenses. And on the player side, it's like, now, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're making a lot more money off of baseball and all these other areas. So who's right, who's wrong in that? To, I don't know. You know, How do you define what expenses can be counted and what income can be counted? Also, you have the debt financing. You know, you, you make a bunch of money and you take out uh, you take out huge debt to build up the area around the ballpark, to renovate the ballpark, to do all this different stuff. So, you know, let's say you make $25 million in profit in a year and then you decide to 
pay off some of the debt, well, you're getting gain out of that profit. But at the end of the year, you show zero profit because you're paying yeah. off debt, you know? Um, so there's a lot of different ways to like shift money around and hide money. And so this, this issue of opening up the books and, and seeing the financials and stuff like that is always going to be contentious because the owners are going to want to show as little as possible, obviously. <laughs> and the players are going to want them to show everything and, you know, have them prove that they're making all this money off of us. And it's just never going to come to a resolution. I mean, the business is clearly complicated, but it just like seemed like the or you know the most adamant you know uh, ranting and raving was just the fact that the owners just weren't being transparent or just weren't being anywhere close to you know honest the way you guys really want and you felt you needed. Yeah, I mean that's definitely the perception. I, I'm I don't know if I'm in a position to be able to say if they were or weren't, but that's the perception <laughs> yeah. for sure. Who lied to John Heyman when, when he when he found when he tweeted that a deal was about to be agreed on and it wasn't? Uh, the same people that give Marco John Rubio. information all the time. I think it's pretty <laughs> obvious to anybody who uh, who's, whose source is. Yeah. So, go ahead, Traps. Go ahead. No, I was just about to say, you're, I, I, it was funny that it was pretty clear where uh, that information was coming from. And my my thing is, how? And, and Adam, I'll let you go next. How did it do – you, do you guys think you actually agreed on a deal? Because I saw you tweet right after the, it came together – like you're going to hold your tongue and everything. And then you had another tweet kind of following it up, but do you guys feel like you could have got more or, or what's your feeling on that of what finally did come together? I can speak for myself personally. Yeah. Uh, I, I surely don't want to speak on behalf of other players or the union or anything like that. So for sure. Uh, I feel like we could have gotten more, but it was my opinion the entire time that we should have taken more games and been flexible on, certain financial issues so that we can get more games and get more overall dollars. So there's a lot of things that before COVID happened, there's a lot of things in the industry that needed to be changed. So it was already kind of contentious. There was already some bad blood. And so you're heading into a bargaining cycle in 2022 where like, there's probably going to be a big fight over stuff. Like that was already coming. And so my opinion was like, okay, look, let's try to set us our, set ourselves up as, as a player group in the best possible position now so that we can make the changes that we need for five years in the bargaining cycle instead of arguing over, let's say, three months or at most a year and a half. Um, so that was my opinion the whole time. So when the, what that looks like is, well, let's, let's play as many games as possible. Let's get as much money overall as possible, even if we have to take you know, pay cuts on, uh, on the prorated amount. But let's get some things right now that might be helpful, like uh, draft pick compensation, uh, on the qualifying offer next year. There's going to be a certain amount of players that get a qualifying offer and they get uh, hit with a draft pick right now. And they're, they're not going to get signed next year because they're going to have too much cost associated with it. Like, let's get some paycheck advance forgiveness for the guys that are on um, split contracts and the guys that are zero to three guys in the league, zero to three in service time. Um, let's get some of that. Like if we can get some of these things and still get a deal done, let's do it. Let's, let's get a little bit more playoff money right now. Cause a lot of people don't know that we make our money in the playoffs based on the gate, the gate number. So right now if playoffs are played this year and there is no gate number, players are not going to get paid at all in the postseason. Like there, there's going to have to be some, something figured out for how that is split up. And so I thought, well, let's get some, let's get a, a playoff pool. Let's get some money out of that. Like for, for the player group. And it just seemed like the whole time uh, the the consensus seemed to be, well, let's just, you know, the owners are screwing us basically. So let's, let's not give them an inch. And so it just came down to this like kind of pride versus pride. The owners weren't willing to budge and the players weren't willing to budge. And 
I think there was a deal to be had in the middle that would have been really good for everybody, including the fans. Um, and unfortunately, I think we did a lot of damage to the industry with how things played out. But, you know, I'm one member of 780. Uh, so the way the union is supposed to work, and you hope that it always works this way, even though sometimes it doesn't seem to. But, you know, the player group is, comes together and you get the consensus of the, of the majority, and then that's how the vote goes. I loved your idea for the YouTube where like the subscription service for the miking up the players, like, like run, run us through that. Cause I thought that was a brilliant idea to bring you guys more money. Yeah. Well, it all stemmed out of, you know, you have Tony Clark and Rob Manfred sit down in a, in a room and then they'd have a conversation. And then it seems like immediately after the conversation, no one can figure out what was put in the conversation. <laughs> Rob thinks we have a deal. Tony's like, well, I told you we don't have a deal. We're just discussing points. Well, you said this and he said that. It's like, well, why don't we just mic it up and film it? That way everyone can see what was talked about. <laughs> and then I was like, well, you know, why don't we just do that for everybody? And mic the umpires up, the players, mic the owners up and like, let's just have full transparency. And that way the, you know, the public can hold everybody accountable for, you know, being, uh, smart, dumb, prideful, whatever the case is, you know, uh, just let it play out in the court of public opinion. So I think that, you know, having access to, to mics on players has proven to be a very compelling concept. I mean, you see it in NFL films all the time, uh, mm -hmm. postseason little montages they put out are super interesting. You see it in spring training, um, or MLB will mic players up and, uh, you know, talk to them during the game or during the all-star game, they do that stuff and like fans love it. It's, it's, it's really compelling. I, I know that the conversations that go on in the bullpen and the dugout, like during the game and all this different stuff are so funny. Like those are some of the best moments, you know, but fans never get to see that. Um, so I, I think having a, a service like that, hopefully it's, it can be controlled by the players. I, you know, that's one thing we're looking to do with my media company momentum is, you know, mm -hmm. bring some of those ideas to the fans and kind of, have the players benefit from it instead of having to fight this battle over, you know, well, the league try, tried to do this and they're going to make X amount of dollars off it. So we need ours. And then, you know, well, if we don't feel like we're getting enough, then we're not going to agree to it. And then the whole sport just suffers marketing. It's one of the main reasons that baseball sucks at marketing right now and is losing popularity, especially among the young generation is because they haven't embraced some of these concepts. They haven't embraced social media. They're way behind the NBA and the NFL and other sports on uh, delivering content to fans where fans were consuming it, players and their personalities off the field, on the field, stuff like that. But a lot of these concepts that seem fairly straightforward and proven in other leagues are very slow to be adopted in, uh, in MLB. So Trevor, I'm assuming you've had a chance to kind of look over the agreements and some of the on-field safety protocols. I want to ask you which ones are the most ridiculous and have the least amount of chance of being uh, obeyed when you guys finally get in the field. Uh, MLB is calling, MLB's calling <laughs> for no high fives, fist bumps, or hugs. No fighting. No arguing with umpires. You guys can't. You guys are strongly discouraged from throwing the ball around the infield, and <laughs> players aren't supposed to be spitting. And for you pitchers, you guys have to carry a wet rag. And can't lick your fingers from moisture. Um, yeah, that's not. How is any of that going to fly when you guys are finally on the field? It's not. Yeah, uh, <laughs> guys are going to go out there on the field and they're going to play baseball. How they know how to play baseball? Like no one's going to be thinking in the middle of a jam in the fifth inning with two guys on in the game on the line. Like, oh, I can't lick my fingers to get some tag. <laughs> I need to, like really? Like, I'm not going to be sitting in the dugout and chewing sunflower seeds and 
not spitting the seeds out, you know, like uh, someone's going to hit a walk off Homer and everyone's going to run out to the plate and like, no one's, it, this is ridiculous. You know, like if you I get caught, yeah, if, if you get caught like chewing sunflower seeds in the outfield, like, does that mean like you get like an extra strike when you get up at bat? Like what is, what are the, what are the repercussions yeah. for like, for spitting? And if you're at third base and no one's around you. Yeah. I don't know. Fine. Maybe. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, it's ridiculous. Like, okay, I'll pay, I'll pay my charity of choice $200 to enjoy sunflower seeds this game. Like, yeah, what, what have, are we talking about? Yeah, to have dip or something like that. What? I mean, what? baseball is ridiculous. They'll find you for wearing cool cleats when no one's looking at your cleats. And, like, they'll find you for wearing all black cleats, just literally all black cleats like Zobris did. I mean, it's ridiculous. They try to find ways to find you for everything. It's dumb. What, what What's your thoughts as a pitcher on this? I'm, I'm sure you're never going to encounter this because you're obviously a starter, but the new extra inning rules with the guy starting on second. That's a mess, man. Like, who's well, first off, who's, <laughs> who's going to get that run? You know? But why do you like, – all right, so here's a question. I've heard other people say that. I think Kenley Jansen, I'm out in L.A., and he was on local radio here, and he was kind of talking about that too. I know, obviously, numbers factor into future free agency and your contracts, but, like, you guys really care about the inherited runner and whose record that goes against. Like, you guys are really kind of adamant. And I'm not angry, but, like, you're really curious about who gets charged that. Well, I just think of a reliever, you know. Like, if you if you go out there and you throw nine scoreless innings, you know, you have a zero ERA. So you could give up one hit in an inning and get charged with a run and never have a chance to – like, let's say you break a guy's bat and he flares it over first base and now you get zero outs and you give up a run. Like, is that your run? That, that Instead of going nine scoreless, now you're eight with one run. It just it changes things drastically. And relievers don't have the opportunity to throw enough innings over the course of a season mm-hmm. where one run is minuscule enough. Like, it, a lot of times relievers might throw 50, uh, 60 innings, you know. Mm-hmm. So one run can – sway their ERA quite a bit and then you go to arbitration and get told you're worth you know uh, $500,000 less because you gave up two more runs this year than the guy that they're comparing you to well like are they going to charge you with that run that you didn't put on base are they is it going to be a team run like oh uh, the pitchers gave up four runs today and the team gave up two is it going to be I, I don't know like what, what's it going to be and then who's going to get the loss you know, is the right. pitcher going to get tagged with the loss um I mean, wins, losses don't really factor in too much in, in contracts for relief pitchers, but like ERA certainly does. And then like, I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of, a lot of problems with it. I mean, I understand the, the desire to shorten extra inning games and like, we all feel that we don't want to be out there for 19 innings either, you know, but like, there's gotta be, I don't know. There's, there's, there's some things that need to be hashed out with how that's all going to work because stats are such a huge part of baseball. They always have been, they always will be. Uh, and to invent a new, like, oh, it's a, a team run, or it's charged to the reliever, or it's just not charged to anybody. If it's not charged to anybody, then who gets the, I don't know. It's just weird. <laughs> no, it's legit. And you bring, I mean, it's complicated. It, it, yeah. Fans, I think fans, especially the ones that are in your mentions about starting baseball, probably aren't going to give a shit about that, but it is legitimate. It does affect the business, and I get that. The other big rule change we got to ask you about is the universal DH, and that's obviously going to affect you directly. So, are you in, like, as a baseball fan, I love it because, again, you look at the slash lines, you look at the batting average of pitchers, it's like you're lucky if a pitcher, you know, the, the cumulative average is 185 during a season. I don't need to see another guaranteed out in the lineup, you know, every three times around. So I'm really happy they're instituting the universal DH, but how do you guys feel about it? I love it. I hate it. 
I am so bad Thank at you. it. I hate Thank you. Doing yes. Things that I'm bad at. No offense. Yeah, I don't I need to see you struggle bunting. I, I'd rather see someone else no. swinging away and who's competent with the bat. Absolutely. I think that you know, pitchers in the lineup and the strategy that uh, you have to utilize as a manager to kind of work around that eighth hole guys. You get a bunt, hit and run. Like the pitcher's mm-hmm. going to bunt. Who do you do you walk the eight hole guy to get to the pit? Like all this different stuff. I think it's part of baseball uh and so the older generation which makes up the vast majority of baseball fans i think the average age of baseball fan now is 57 years old so they love that that's the game they grew up with but in order to attract a younger generation like the younger generation doesn't want to wait eight or ten minutes to watch the eighth hole hitter get no pitches to hit and walk and then see the pitcher (laughs) try to bunt and strike out and then the inning's over and like you lose you lose people's attention you know you want to see if the steroid era taught us anything you want to see bonds and mcguire up there and sosa and all these guys hitting balls 500 feet. Like that's what seems to be interesting. And in a game that's already plagued by uh, three true outcomes and like st- too many strikeouts, not enough action and balls in play to just put a, a pitcher up there. That's, you know, handcuffed uh, at the plate. Basically it doesn't make any sense offensively. The other thing that I think people forget is you, a lot of play, a lot of people show up to the ballpark or t- tune into the TV to watch their favorite pitcher pitch. Mm-hmm. Right, like you want to see uh, Max Scherzer pitch six innings, seven innings, eight innings, right? You, you tune, it's it's something to watch. Well, in the National League, like let's say he's down two to nothing in the sixth at seventy-eight pitches, you know, he might be getting pinch hit for because you mm-hmm. got two guys on. You get second and third, you can tie the game up with one out, and your spot comes up. Like you might be done for the day. So now you're into the bullpen two or three innings earlier than you needed to be. Now you have the pitching changes and that strategy going on, and then you don't get to see the the stars pitch, uh, the starters, the star starters at least. So there's a lot of different things that go along with it. I'm super in favor of it. I think that it's good. Uh, I personally would love to see the universal DH stick around. Um, you know, baseball is the only sport I think that plays by different rules in the same <laughs> season. You know, it's, it's important. Um, you know, we have fields that are different. Every field is a different size. The infield's the same, obviously, but like the field itself is different dimensions, different sizes. So, definitely a quirky sport but yeah i'd like to see i'd like to see the universal bh stick around you you brought up the steroid air and obviously that came back around because of the mcguire uh sosa doc what are your overall thoughts on just because we throughout this whole interview we've been talking about the popularity of baseball and how to get it younger and how to do it and everybody loves dingers and all that kind of thing did you have any thoughts as someone in this generation kind of watching that and people who say oh bring steroids back all this kind of stuff you know yeah, I don't think you bring steroids back because steroids have such a – anytime you inject something or you take something that's unnatural for your body, there's health consequences. And you don't want to yeah. end up in a situation where players feel like they have to compromise their health, their safety, or their long-term health and safety uh, in order to compete on the field. You want it to yeah. be a, a fair playing field, you know? I think there's certain times when um, it, it might make sense. Uh, like, let's say in a rehab program, if you take uh, – if you put a guy on – a dosage of uh, growth hormone or testosterone or something like that to aid in the recovery of healing a body because there's some research that shows that, um, you know, you'll recover better if you have higher levels and stuff like that. And that's good for overall health as long as it's, a, you know, administered by a doctor and all that different stuff. But I think that, you know, bringing steroids back uh, on a mass level would, would not be a good idea. Uh, there's, there's things in the game right now that you could do to make the game a lot more exciting like eliminate foreign substance uh, uh, that pitchers use on the mound or just make it legal. I mean, you have the same thing right now that 
you had with the steroids, if 70% of people are doing it, then the 30% who aren't doing it because it's technically illegal, uh, now you're forcing them into a situation where it's like, well, I know I could be a lot better if I did this, but it's technically illegal. So do I cheat and give my team and myself the best chance to win? Or do I stick to my morals and not do something that's illegal? And then you have 70% that are just doing something and no one's checking it and it's, it goes unnoticed. So, but numbers show if you, if you remove foreign substance, you'd knock about two to 400 RPM off of the spin rate of like 70% of the league. And so batting wow. average would go up, uh, strikeouts would go down because pitches that spin slower are a lot easier to hit. And so you'd get a lot more balls in play. Uh, you'd probably get more homers, uh, more hits, you know, less, less swings and misses. And so that would fix uh, a decent portion of it. But I've been beating that drum for two or three years now and no one seems to listen. So as a casual baseball fan, I'm going to admit that I've never heard about that before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if you go like on fastball specifically, if you go up like 200, for every 200 RPM, you go up on a fastball. Uh, your batting average against drops like 20 points and the swing and miss rises like two or 3%. I think those are the numbers that were a couple years ago. They may have changed recently, but uh, that's pretty drastic. I mean, if, if you think about uh, foreign substance and pine tar being able to add 400 RPM to a fastball, that's 40 points on a batting average. That takes you from a, a 300 hitter to a 260 hitter. Uh, your swing and miss goes up 6%. So now you're striking out, you know, probably 6% more versus putting those balls in play. Like, it's a, it's a pretty drastic difference, and that's just on fastballs. It's not even on breaking balls. The, the effect on breaking balls is a lot more drastic. So where's the best place to hide Pinto if you're a pitcher? No, oh, you can hide it anywhere. In your belt. <laughs> it's cap. Your Don't do a Michael Pineda and put it on your neck, but do it on your cap. Do it on your, do it on your baseball glove. I mean, Have the catcher do it. Yeah, the catcher is the best one. Just cover the catcher's mitt and pine tar so every time he catches the ball, it just sticks his out. Because <laughs> no one touches, no one checks the catcher because it's not illegal for them to have it. Third baseman can have it. First baseman can have it. I mean, you got a ball literally sticking to Yadier Molina's chest. Like, that's how sticky his chest protector is. Like, what are we That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, ridiculous. Wait, Chop, before you drop it to You know, go one. in, Zion. Zion's a Yankees fan, by the way, Trevor. Let's just yeah. put couldn't that out there. Adam, Adam is a Yankees fan, too. We'll get, I got a question about that later, but piggybacking off of Chop's question, um, he brought up the steroid error. To me, the greatest baseball player of all time is Barry Bonds. Adam mm. thinks it's Babe Ruth. I don't know why. That's silly to me. We had this but, argument already. No, 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 no. I'm asking Let Trevor now. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> to you, who is the baseball GOAT of, all, of, of the greatest of all time? Yeah. I, mean, I think it's it's hard to compare pitchers and hitters, so I think you'd have to separate it out. For, for sure, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think hitters can have a much more much more of an impact on the game. So I think if you're just going straight up overall best player, you'd have to go with the hitter instead of a pitcher. Um, I mean, it's hard to argue against Barry. It really is. Um, I mean, just the the offensive. I mean, for like eight or ten years, the the dominance at the plate. Uh, some of the stats that he put up in those in his prime years, like. The amount of times he walked, like the home, it was, it's just ridiculous. Like I go back and look at his stats, and every single time I look back, I'm like, oh, I learned something new because it's just, I see something and it's so ridiculous that I just don't even realize that there's 12 <laughs> other things that are equally as ridiculous. And the next time I go back, I notice them. So it'd be it'd be really hard to argue against that. I think I think Trout has a, a real chance of mm. uh, by the end of his mm. career, kind of being in that in that category. Um, just from, I mean, the, the youth right now and the, the numbers he's been able to put out, the longevity that he looks to be able to have, um, pretty crazy what he does. But I think it's, I, the, the, my, my argument in this whole goat thing is like today's players are so much 
not better physically or better um, athletically or genetically, but they just they play the game at such a at a much higher level than 20 years ago, 40 years ago, because the game changes, you know, mm. training mm-hmm. changes, like all that stuff, analytics change. So it's hard to say that Babe Ruth way back then is a better overall baseball player. If you took Babe Ruth in his prime with his skill set and Barry Bonds in his prime with his skill set, Bonds would blow him out of the water. Now, athletically, <laughs> yes. Athletically, yes. But my argument's always been that, and, and you can you can knock it because obviously the competition wasn't integrated and Babe Ruth didn't get to pay, face every single amazing player that was in the Negro Leagues and everything like that. I get all that. But my contention is that the numbers that Babe Ruth put up in that era are obviously ridiculous and astounding. He has a higher war than Barry Bonds. And also, Babe Ruth was, Babe Ruth was a really good pitcher. Let's not forget that. Before we went to the Yankees, like he was pitching at a high level for the Red Sox, pitching in the World Series. And so you take all that together. He was like this complete player, even though he, he was a fat bastard. He was, he, was, he was playing against popcorn vendors, Adam. Out there, the I, no, not popcorn <laughs> vendors. We can't go, can't go that far, Chops. He wasn't like, throwing ninety. I don't think he was throwing ninety. They threw ninety back in the nineteen. Come on, Trevor. Come on, Trevor. Were they throwing ninety? I don't think so here because I, I think that the game wasn't set up back then to try to get the hitter out as much as it was to like throw the ball to the plate, have him put it in play, and play the game. Like that's mm-hmm. one thing that people don't understand. Nowadays, analytics has taught us that if you strike someone out, you have a much better chance of winning. So you try to strike everybody out. Uh, but, I mean, as much as, like, 50, 50 years ago, 40 years ago, like, that wasn't the case. They were mm-hmm. optimizing to throw the ball over the plate and to have action and to have the ball put in play and play the game and rely on your teammates. I mean, there's still people today that talk about, oh, you want you want to pitch to contact and rely on your defense. Like, no, that's not what you want to do. You want to strike <laughs> the guy out because I can't give up any runs. Like, yeah. I, I just I don't want anyone to hit the ball. I had to strike 27 people out. That's great for me, you know, but – so, so back then, I mean, they're optimizing to have people hit, so they're not trying to throw hard. That's why a lot of guys could throw so many innings and stuff like that because they're not putting the overall stress on their body that we are today. I mean, we're pushing the levels of uh, human ability, like, on a daily basis. You got guys throwing 105 miles an hour. I don't know how hard guys can throw, but I can't imagine it's going to be a whole lot harder than that, you know, until the, the human species, like, genetically <laughs> evolves a little bit or whatever. You're right? not, so like, yeah, we're, we're not made to throw a baseball. I don't, you know, I, have you have you had any elbow or shoulder uh, surgeries or issues? Uh, yeah, I think humans lucky. are actually, humans are made to, to throw. I mean, if you look at early humans with throwing spears to, to survive. Um, but throwing 90 miles per hour, like, five, <laughs> every now, five days and doing, like, I mean, that we're not really made. Right. Well, no, of course, of course. But the, I, I get I get upset when people say that throwing isn't a natural motion. I'm like, yeah, it is. Guys were hunting woolly mammoths with spears. <laughs> yeah, Adam. <laughs> yeah, right, Adam. Touche. All right, I'll fall back Adam, on you that. Trevor, on the past ten minutes. All right, bro. you know what, Trevor? <laughs> Trevor, before we get you out of here, let's let's get some questions in here. For one, the momentum thing, very dope. The Jose Ramirez video that you put up, <laughs> you guys playing one on one. It's the first one on one baseball game of all time. Was was yes. so amazing. That was such yeah. great content. Yeah, he's. Uh, a lot of people don't understand Jose's personality because he doesn't he doesn't speak a whole lot publicly and like there's the language barrier and stuff like that. But that dude is so funny. Like his his man. Can you confirm he like, doesn't? Can you confirm he doesn't run his own Twitter account too? I'm a, I'm from Cleveland by the way. I'm an Indians fan. So I, I, I don't I don't know if he does or doesn't honestly. <laughs> like some of the things that are said on there, I'm like Jose. There's no way you said that. But then I'll hear him say something in the clubhouse. I'm like, oh, but you could have said that. You know, I don't yeah. know. He's funny though, man. Like, and he speaks more English than than he lets on, and oh, so okay. I always try to like drill him. He's like, oh, uh, you know, I don't speak English. I'm like, yeah, you do. And I, you know, so we, we go back and forth. But I, I love that dude. He's he's hilarious. I remember I remember he had a tweet that 
Yankees fans kind of killed him for. He was like something like, "Oh, we haven't won the Yankee, we we haven't lost in Yankee Stadium." And that was the same year y'all blew a two zero uh, lead. But that gets to my next. <laughs> can we question. not bring that up? Can that, we not it bring gets that to up? my next question. What is your beef with Yankee fans on Twitter? Yeah, I don't got no beef with Yankee fans. I said I think it all started when I said that uh, I was excited to pitch on you know the, the game four. I felt like I was at my best in game four on short rest, and I was, yeah. I was excited to take the ball and get out there. And I think the Yankee fans were like, oh, yeah, you know, started you know, the typical Bronx hospitality. You know, they started, like, yelling at me and uh, and stuff like that. But I think a lot of Yankee fans love me. When I look at my analytics on social media, I actually uh, I have 2% of my followers are from Cleveland and 2% are from New York. So Yankee <laughs> fans love me. New Yorkers are, respect people that speak their mind. So, yeah. Are you, are, you're, gonna, you're finally going to be a free agent. This has been such a thing because you've been such an advocate about how you're going to handle free agency. So you're finally going to be a free agency after this season. One, would you sign with the Yankees? Say the Yankees said they'd come after you. And then two, would you? are you still on the short-term deal thing? You're always going to do the short-term deal thing. One, I would sign with the Yankees. My, I, I want to pitch every fourth day. So as long as they were let, willing to let me make 40 starts and, and pitch every fourth day, <laughs> it would certainly be a conversation. Um, and as far as the contract status, yeah, talk to my agent. That's, uh, well, we'll, we'll discuss it more. Trying to negotiate the media here, Chops? (laughs) No, I'm just, you've always been a thing about how you want to keep it. It's just kind of a fascinating thing because like, like we talked about earlier, the owners, we had Yelich on months ago. This was before he signed his extension and he was like, they got to open up the books. Who knows where all this money is coming from and everything. So I think it's just interesting to hear baseball players before when they're about to get paid you know yeah look i think that there's a couple things that are really important to me one i want to be able to control my happiness in my career Uh, i want to be happy where i'm at so that's you know have have an organization that treats me well that respects me that i respect that you know it's a good working relationship i've been part of teams that's not good working relationship and just makes me miserable i don't want any part of that i want to pitch every fourth day and, and do that like that's something i really want to accomplish i want to help a lot of people i want to help the young guys i want to help change the culture of baseball in training and science and analytics and marketing yeah. and all this different stuff. So I want a, a culture that allows for me to like build that and to continue growing and help uh, teach the younger generation and help people. So uh, if that's the case, then and I find a fit that's like that, then, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much up for whatever. Uh, but I want to be able to control my happiness and, and stay competitive. That's one of the biggest things that uh, biggest things for me is I love competing. and I love winning. And so I don't want to get stuck in a situation where I'd sign, let's say, a five-year, six-year contract and then end up going through a four- or five-year rebuild. That just doesn't that doesn't appeal to me to, to be on losing teams um, and with an organization that may be choosing not to put the best talent they could possibly put on the field out there. So I want to be I want to be on winner. I want to be, you know, out there competing with my teammates and helping grow the game and, and educating people and, uh, you know, all that stuff. So... Those are the things that are most important to me. Uh, money is is important, obviously, but it's not a huge driving factor. I want to be treated fairly. You know, I'm not looking to you know bankrupt anybody by any means, but I, I do want to be treated fairly and paid my worth. I think that helps a lot of people in the future. Um, it would be, you know, if I take a contract that's under market value, then the next guy that is using me as a comp is going to have a harder time getting his money, and money may be a driving force for him. So, you know, I gotta I gotta look out for the next generation too, and and make sure and keep the the market moving forward. But um, yeah, those are the things I want to be happy. I want to compete. I want to win. And I want to help people. It sounds like Trevor Bowers concerning the New York Yankees. Y'all that's, that's all I took from this. <laughs> so, from this someone tell, so someone tell John Heyman uh, real <laughs> quick before he, real he's quick, on this call already. He probably already has <laughs> he, he sleuthed in here yeah. real quick before we get out of here. 
be, uh, let's just say two people decided to come at you recently. Uh, anything, any message you want to send to those two who we're not a fan of either. Why? Like I'm over here on my corner of the internet, minding my own business, you know, like come out of, come out of the woodworks and start, you know, saying stuff to me. I've never met either one of them. Like, what are, what are you doing? But anyone who comes at me can get it. So you best be prepared. Cause I, I don't pull punches. Mm. Well, keep dunking on the people that deserve to be dunked on. Right. Say that they too. deserve to be dunked on. They, you have, you have the load management podcast behind you, Trevor. Hundred <laughs> <Yeah>. percent <laughs> against those. Keep two. You gotta give context, chops. You gotta give context uh, for the for the audience. Hey, we all know who it is. Obviously, Aubrey Huff, who has been in the news for a variety of reasons. I'll leave that at there. Yikes. And then Kurt Schilling, who has also been in the news for a variety <laughs> two of grade reasons. A clowns. <laughs> yeah. So, Trevor, we appreciate you for doing the Twitter job and dunking on them properly. <laughs> I appreciate you guys. Trevor, thank you so much for appreciate taking time you, out of your drive. Drive safely. Get to Cincinnati safely. Good luck. I right, appreciate season. you guys. Talk to you guys soon. Thanks for See coming you, on, Trevor. Man. Huge shout out to Trevor Bauer for uh, literally pulling off to the side of the road to talk to us about the return of baseball uh, and everything. It was very interesting to hear the details of why everything took so long and sort of where the sport is going. Uh, we teased that Adam gets dunked on by Bauer in the GOAT discussion. For some reason, Adam, you are love caping for Babe Ruth, who played 90 years ago. Babe Ruth uh, had a higher war than Barry Bonds. Bro, you bro he was playing chance. against peanut vendors. Like, what do you want, what do you want Listen, to do? Listen, the baseball landscape was very different back in the 19-teens and 20s. I get that 100%, but look up Babe Ruth's pitching statistics, and he has a higher war than Barry Bonds. Listen, I, I'm, I not, think so. I, I'm not going to look that up. I'm just going to let you know. Adam that, thinks okay? Bob Cousy is better than LeBron. That's not accurate. Adam so thinks Bob Cousy would, would lock down Kyrie. That's, that's Adam's take. <laughs> you, would, guys, you, uh, you guys are out of your fucking minds right now with these. I do want to give Adam, slanderous claims right now. I do want to give Adam some props because behind the scenes, he's about like one for like eighty-two of getting guests on this podcast. But it looks like he came more through with inaccuracies. Someone. More. It inaccuracies. looks like it looks like you came through with someone in the in the coming it, weeks. So it I'm looks excited. like it. It, it looks, looks like, like we got to see. It's called it's called confirmed. It's called signed, sealed, and delivered. We'll be uh, having. We'll, we'll see what we'll it happens. We'll, we'll be having NBA players from inside the bubble on the podcast. Adam, um, late Adam's July got a, and early August. Adam's got a bubble source, Zion. I, I didn't know it was. We true, have numerous we'll, bubble sources here, pal. Yeah, yeah. So, so we'll see. So you get, you get once in a one in a blue moon, bro. Audience, I don't want to. I don't want to get your guys' hopes up too much because me and Zion have got our hopes up before. But you know, like hopefully this happens. So I'm, I'm well, he's on the Lakers. So just giving you a little hint. Is and the other individual and the. No, you LeBron, can't say was, LeBron was unavailable. I tried for LeBron, oh, okay. but LeBron was unavailable. Yeah. And the other so, individuals from the Houston Rockets. So there you we def- go. You definitely would have no connect to LeBron, bro. Come on, <laughs> LeBron James. Pal, pal. You, you, and LeBron James. Few, Adam was watching calls. LeBron James when calls. you were in short pants. I finished it for you. Uh, <laughs> well done. We appreciate you guys for listening every single week. Again, check us out on Apple Podcasts. New and noteworthy. Uh, we're still there. Big honor. Thank them for that. Uh, make sure you go subscribe, listen, rate, five stars, reviews, all that. They really help us, so please continue to do that. We love all you guys. We have a lot of big surprises as sports continue to come back in July. Uh, stuff I'm really excited about. Uh, that's about it. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you Follow to Josh and Twitter. Jasmine, our produ- producers. Follow us on Twitter, at Peachopped underscore, at Adam Caporell, at Zion Olajede uh, on Twitter. Wait, wait, wait. What, what was that again? Pronounce it again. Olegede. Not bad. Not bad. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 
Stop trying. <laughs> stop trying to get me. So follow us all on Twitter, Complex Sports on Twitter. Uh, again, huge shout out to Trevor Bauer, and we'll see you guys next week. Special thanks to our producer, Josh Dodd, our associate producer and sound engineer, Jasmine Plata, our production manager, Chancel Correa, our talent booker, Shanice Kelman, who gets us all our great guests, our director of talent relations, Kristen Price-Harrell, who also gets us the great guests, our senior director of operations, Jen Stewart. Shout out to the main man in charge, our GM, Donnie Kwok. This is a production of Complex Networks. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.